running the way and starting that in a few weeks. And so I would also encourage you, if you have any interest in that, even if you're curious enough to give it a shot, uh, give it a chance, then uh, go to that form that I emailed out and sign up for that. And if you have not received that uh, email and you would like to, gladly send me an email and I'm happy to forward that to you. And we're going to accommodate as many groups as we have to to get everybody who wants to participate a chance to do so. Today we are going to be... I've been trying to connect characters of the Christmas story to... 2020, which is not hard to do because we're all people and we're all serving the same Lord and the same Jesus. And yet we're also, but there's something awesome about that, that you do that as you look through this ancient book that God has preserved for us for thousands and hundreds of years. It is awesome how relevant it is, even when we study people and scriptures in that book. And so today I want to do a little mini character study of a of a key character in the Christmas story. This fellow is a character that we can all learn from, and yet he is not quoted one time in Scripture. Think about that for a little bit. Zechariah and Elizabeth and, of course, Mary, the wise men, the shepherds, Simeon, even King Herod is quoted in Scripture. We know word for word some of the things that they said. But this man, we do not know one word he he ever said. And yet we have a lot to learn from him. Do you guys know who it is? Say it with me on the count of three. This fellow that we're talking about is... One, two, three... Come on! (laughs) I like how the... I'll just anonymously say this. The people in the sound booth looked over to my slides and knew the name. It's Joseph. We want to talk about the man who is going to become, in his lifetime, he would become known as Jesus' dad. This is the man I want to talk about this morning, and I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we do, because I recognize that apart from the Holy Spirit, anything that I say here and do here is useless. And so I want to invite the Holy Spirit to, uh, to guard my words and also to, um, as we just invite Him to open our hearts, that's what I'm praying. And so if you agree with that and you also are of, of the mindset that you would like God to speak to you and make these words, these ancient words out of this book, come alive in your heart and apply them to your life today as we near Christmas 2020, then you could just say amen at the end of the prayer if you agree with the words. Join with me. Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who would humble himself to become a servant, taking on the very nature of a human, even being born as a baby, and growing up in obedience to human parents, which he actually created, and living in a world that he created, and though he was was God, he was in very nature God, he was God, and he was with God in the beginning, and all things that were made were made through him. They were made through you, Jesus, and yet you humbled yourself and came to this place that you were created 
And though you came to that which was your own, your own didn't recognize you and didn't even receive you. And yet to those who believed, you call them into your family, Jesus. Thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity that we have today to declare who you are, Jesus, with no shame, with no embarrassment, because we are confident of who you are, Jesus, excited about who you are, and very willing to stand and proclaim your greatness. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Amen. <laughs> Man, I... Whew, maybe we're just going to pray and not, not even preach. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> we are, we are going to do something really simple. We're just going to read. I want to think about Joseph and his part in this story about Jesus. And of course, the whole story revolves around Jesus. But I want to think about who Joseph is because I think we can learn some things about how to follow Jesus from Joseph. And so we're just going to read through a lot of scriptures. Virtually every passage in the Bible that talks about him, we're going to read this morning. Here's how it starts. This, in Matthew chapter 1, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful, so this is how it works. In case you guys don't remember, when we come to the yellow words, you just heartily read them out loud, okay? Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So just remember, they're not even married yet. Essentially, we would understand it like a little bit like they were just engaged, but they were going to be married. And when Joseph finds out that she has seemingly been unfaithful to him, he is in a tricky situation. Because he is a righteous man, he is faithful as a follower. And so he cannot do anything except divorce her and call off the marriage before it even happens. And yet, because he is a righteous man, he's also compassionate. And so he does those, what those two things together would make someone do, and he says, I have to call off the marriage. But instead of doing it publicly, which would cause incredible hardship for Mary, even possibly the death penalty, he decided he would do it quietly. He would save his own righteousness, and he would be able to be compassionate to Mary. Verse 20, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did. I want to read that again because that is a powerful statement. When Joseph woke up, he did. What is another word for did? Obeyed. 
When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph is obedient. Can I just ask a question? When did he obey? Just look at that verse for a second. When did, Jesus, uh, when did Joseph obey? When he woke up. That is an interesting choice of words. I think when Matthew wrote that, he must have wanted to insinuate that Joseph did not delay for a moment. He woke up and obeyed. He didn't think about it till lunch or supper or the next day or week. He, he got up and obeyed. This is the kind of guy he is. That's essentially what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus. You could even, if you ponder about this and think about this for a second, why did Joseph want to divorce Mary in the first place? Because she was pregnant. And that was against the law. And so now, if he's going to obey the Lord, do you recognize the cost at which he is obeying the Lord? He is not going to be the only righteous person who sees that Mary is pregnant. There is a cost of reputation, and I think it's safe to say that Joseph actually has a greater fear of the Lord than he has of man. There is actually a lot we can learn from Joseph. But we'll continue reading the story in Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that, had took, or that took place while... <laughs> Do you know why I highlighted that word? Uh, i got to look at how, how to say it. Quirinius? Do you know why I highlighted Quirinius? It's because I wasn't sure exactly how to say it, and I was just imagining everybody in their homes trying to quickly say that correctly. And I have a bit of a sadistic sense of humor, and this, this helps me because I'm, I'm kind of laughing, uh, I'll say with all of you. But anyway, uh, anyway, Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. After this, in the story, comes the story of the shepherds and how God spoke to them. And we're, I'm purposely only reading the passages that have directly to do with Joseph. But the story of the shepherds comes next. But I want you to think about the shepherds' story, how they heard from the angels and they went to Bethlehem to find this thing that had happened, just as the angels had told them. Think about that story from Joseph's perspective. As we're this far along in the story... Is Joseph encountering the Lord? Or is he witnessing the supernatural aspects of God firsthand? He is. He, he saw an angel or he heard an angel and saw an angel in a dream. 
His wife became pregnant by the Lord. And now these shepherds hear from God to come where he is, doesn't even live there, and yet they come to recognize the baby of whom they would assume he's the father. I just wonder what Joseph is already thinking at this time. But let's keep reading. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. This is the part of the sermon, so the, the story where Joseph and Mary have gone to consecrate baby Jesus, and this is where they meet Simeon and Anna, who come up to them, and they prophesy about baby Jesus to everybody who is within earshot there. Again, let's, I'm, going to, I'm going to encourage us this morning, even just to allow ourselves to wonder. I know that there are some what-ifs here, okay? But we're going to allow ourselves a little bit of time just to think about that. Do you ever wonder what Joseph and Mary did on the way home from that day? Do you ever... I think we actually have quite a bit of reason to realize they did not fully understand God's plan. But they certainly understood bits and pieces, and probably more was revealed to them as they went along. And I wonder, after hearing the dream, after hearing the shepherds, after hearing from Simeon and Anna, I wonder if sometimes they just, Mary and Joseph may have just looked at each other, maybe over the supper table or maybe as they're walking down the road and not really been sure what exactly to say. And then maybe they looked at each other and looked at the baby, looked at each other. <laughs> I don't know, what would you say? It almost seems like maybe nothing could be said. I don't know. Then you have the story of the wise men. And then the wise men come. They've also heard from the Lord. The Lord has led them there to worship this baby as a king. I think they have to be filled with an awe and a wonder of what is going on. Then in Matthew chapter 2, after the wise men had left, it says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. This is now dream number two. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. How long did it take for Joseph to obey the angel in the dream. He obeyed instantly. He had the dream. The angel said, go. He trusted the Lord. This is the Lord. He got up and went. 
I have questions about this. I wonder, like, did Mary also hear the angel? Did she know? Did she have a knowing? Or a, did she also see the angel? How, or did she simply just trust Joseph? I wonder that. I wonder sometimes, was, was Joseph ever at some point trying to add up all of these things to make a sense of everything that was going on? Because I think it would have been humanly impossible to do that. And so he escapes to Egypt. The angel told him to, and he obeyed. But I wonder, did he have to choose the road of how to get to Egypt? Was he still responsible to protect Mary and the baby from robbers and wicked people along the way? Was he responsible to find out which place? Egypt is a pretty big place. Where are they going to stay? Which town? Which house? Did he have those details to figure out? In fact, there's actually a good indication to know from Scripture that they did not fully understand. So 1 Corinthians would say that we don't fully understand. We're only going to fully understand in heaven. And so we, we have limited understanding, and I think Mary and Joseph also had limited understanding. It makes me curious about that. But you get the distinct impression that Joseph is dependable, he is very quick to obey, and he trusts God. Let's keep reading. In ver uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 19, After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream. This is dream number what? This is dream number three. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. Now this is at least the third dream that Joseph has had. And then in verse 21 it says, So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. Again, that just really is written in a way that gives us this impression that he did not delay for a moment. Angel said, go. He got up and went. Verse 22, But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in another dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. That is now the fourth dream that Joseph has had, where an angel has told him or warned him or spoken to him and he obeyed. Do you ever wonder about that? If that just at some point, do you think that ever got old, old for him? I don't think it would have gotten old. But I wonder, the conversation with him and Mary. Mary, wake up! We're leaving to a different country. When are we going? Right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> did did you did an angel talk to you again? Yeah, again. I'm curious about that. Did, she have, did, did Mary instantly believe 
Is it one of those things where maybe the Lord already had actually told her that in advance and maybe just the dream was to get Joseph on board? I don't know. But I love thinking about this because I realize that Joseph had like a front row seat to seeing this most amazing supernatural events in all of history right in front of him. Some of it was directly to him when angels would meet him in a dream and speak to him and warn him. And some of it was indirectly when the Lord would speak to other people and Joseph just got a front row seat to watch it happen as they obeyed the Lord and came to worship his baby Jesus. And every time that Joseph is met directly by the Lord through an angel, he is expected to obey, and he does. Every time we read it in Scripture, he obeys very promptly. And I think he is also expected to take care of the details. I think there's an aspect of the way I understand and read this story. I think Joseph lives out what we would understand as a faithful follower. The Lord gives him instructions. He obeys them. And there might even be details that he has to take care of. And yet he would probably be able to say, once it's all done, like Isaiah said in Isaiah 26 verse 12, Lord, <laughs> Everything that we have accomplished, you've done for us. Because it's true. Everything that Joseph did, the Lord told him to do. He was just simply obeying, like Jesus told his disciples in Luke 17. You are unworthy servants. You've only done your duty. That's exactly what Joseph did. And yet he would have had a chance and an opportunity to obey or not obey. And he wasn't rebellious. He didn't draw back. He engaged with the Lord. The next part of the story that we see about Joseph, it all of a sudden jumps 12 years. There's a 12-year gap. But even in there, we get to see something about Joseph. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. It starts off with these two words, every year. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Okay, first of all, I love it that they called Joseph and Mary his parents. Because we really know that Mary is his mom, but Joseph isn't biologically his dad. But anyways, what does it say about Joseph that every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover? There is a consistency there. There is a faithfulness there. There is a regular, dependable pattern of behavior. This is actually Joseph just making sure these things happen. They're a priority in my life. This is how it works. And he did that every year for 12 years for sure. Because when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. I want to just pause there for just a second. Does it, does it seem interesting to you that Jesus as a boy would have been playing with his cousins and friends? <laughs> what did they do? 
I think he just played like kids do. He probably ran a lot more than adults do. He probably had a lot more energy than adults do. I think he was probably a fairly normal child in that sense. Because they just thought he would be playing with the relatives or, or hanging out with the relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Isn't that interesting? He's asking questions and also giving answers. <laughs> I think he was already asking, exposing questions when he was 12 years old. That must have been interesting to listen to those teachers. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that meeting. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, now it doesn't say the tone in which she said this, and you could read it two ways maybe, but she might have said very gently, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Or, or maybe she was a little bit, I don't, we get the impression Mary was quite gentle and nice. But I wonder, if, could she have said it, Son, <laughs> why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. So I don't know the tone in which she said that. But it's interesting to me that she says, your father and I. And Jesus says these words, and that should be in red letters. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Do you see the contrast there? Like in that scripture... If we just go back a slide, in that passage, it has referred to Mary and Joseph as his parents several times. Even Mary has used the words, hey, your father and I, and he says in response, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? It's an exposing question even to his mom. And then verse 50 says this, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And that statement right there help, helps me to understand that when Joseph was traveling to Egypt and back, he could not have fully understood ex everything that was going on because even now when Jesus is 12 years old, he still doesn't fully understand of what's going on when Jesus says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And then he went down to Nazareth with them. Who's them? His parents, Joseph and Mary. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. That is a fascinating truth. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. I find this interesting that Jesus knows at 12 years old he knows that Joseph is not actually his father. Because he knows his father is actually God, and that's why he was in his father's house. And yet, knowing that, 
perhaps because he recognized and understood authority structures, because he designed them, he went home and obeyed his earthly dad who wasn't even really his dad. Do you ever wonder what kind of things Jesus obeyed his dad with? Like, did Joseph ever have to sit Jesus down and say, listen, Jesus, when you talk to people, you got to look them in the eye. Or did Jesus just know that all by himself? Or did Jesus, or did, did Joseph have to tell Jesus, listen, when we get home tonight, you got to help your mom take out the trash. Or you got to help me uh, bring this food into the kitchen. Did he... And Jesus obeyed. I'm curious about that. Jesus acknowledged that Joseph, Jesus acknowledged Joseph as his dad, although he knew better. And Joseph and Mary knew better. But to everyone else around them, they also recognized that Joseph is actually Jesus' dad. That's what they thought. There was this one time when, when later on in life, when Jesus was in his years of ministry, he said something about having come down from heaven. And this is very interesting. In, in uh, John 6, 42, they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How, how can he say, I came down from heaven? Another time, when he was in Nazareth, where people, this is a small town, people knew Mary and Joseph. And Jesus as a child. And they said, Is, isn't this the carpenter's son? Who do they know Joseph to be? They knew Joseph to be the carpenter. That word carpenter actually is, is more like the word builder and likely refers to building things with wood. Could also refer to building things with metal or stone. But he was some kind of a construction worker, a carpenter. They knew him as that. He must have been doing that for, Joseph must have been doing that for a long time. Because that's who who he is. And sometimes I actually wonder about that. If people knew for many years that Joseph was the carpenter, they didn't know him as Oh, he's that crazy guy who keeps telling everybody that his son is actually God. No, they knew him as a carpenter. And I wonder about that. Did Joseph ever, and I'm allowing myself a little time to just wonder and think, wonder, curious. Did Joseph ever tell his neighbors, ah, Jesus is actually uh, God's son, not mine? Or did he try that and they just didn't believe? Or did the Lord tell him, actually, Joseph, I don't want you to tell anybody. The timing isn't right. Because we don't get the impression from all the things that we just read about Joseph, we do not get the impression that he was afraid. We do not get the impression that he was scared. And so today, if you walk... From the town of Nazareth, which is, in my experience, a little bit of a dirty-looking town, 
on the side of a hill like this, if you walk up the many steps that go up that hill, and then you cross that hill, that's Nazareth. That is the, that is the same place where Jesus would have run around on the streets with his cousins and friends and relatives and played. This is where he would have come home with his dad. If he went to work with his dad, this is where he would have come home to. And I wonder, if you, if you, if you walk up this hill and you head out of town to a little place called Zapori, which is now a national park, and you can walk through this park. It's just open. It's like a self-guided kind of tour. They've excavated some of this place. But this town, Zapori, the, the Jewish historian Josephus called this city the ornament of Galilee. And this tile work that you can see there, I don't know how well you can see that on your computer screen, but you can Google it. That tile work is intricate detail, and those particular tiles are about 1,700 years old. And so we know that Jesus and his dad would not have laid down those tiles. They, ha- they, they got put there about 300 years later. They're about 1,700 years old. But you can see, if you look down the, the street that is in Zippori, this is about six or eight miles or so out of Nazareth. You can see there's like cart ruts on that road. And you've got to wonder, did Joseph leave Nazareth and come to what would have been a very booming and busy city center? Is this where Joseph came to work? Would Jesus have ever come with him here to either build things out of wood, place stones in their place, maybe build things out of metal, whatever Joseph did, would Jesus have come with him? Would, would Joseph have been teaching Jesus how to work? Because we know that Jesus obeyed him. Those kinds of things just make me wonder. And as much as interesting as it is to kind of wonder about these mysteries and wonder about some of these things that we probably will never know in this lifetime, we will only get to know once we're in heaven, if the Lord fills us in on those details. If we land that thinking on something that we know, we know this. We know that God trusted Joseph with raising his son. That alone makes me ask this question, who is Joseph? Because I want to be like Joseph. I would like God to be able to trust me with some of his most precious possessions. We know that Joseph was a righteous man. We know that he was open to hearing from God and he was quick to obey. He was dependable and he was a faithful follower of God. And I just want to point out and maybe rebuke a lie that you might be tempted to believe. Being a faithful follower of Jesus is not boring. If you've ever thought that being a Christian in the way that Christians ought to behave and listen to and follow the Lord, if you've ever thought that was boring, that didn't come from God. I think to say that following Jesus is exciting is an understatement. 
And I wonder, actually, even now, as we're thinking about the way in January, and as we have leaders who are going to take a small group of people and lead them in intentional discipleship, just regular patterns of connecting with the same Jesus, I wonder if there isn't a similarity between them and Joseph in the fact that they get to do this work with the Lord they get, they, this is what's going to happen. At, at some point in that group, they are going to understand that people in their group are going to experience and they have an encounter with the Lord. He's going to become personal to them, and as a leader, they'll get to see it indirectly. A little bit like Joseph got to see some indirect movements of the, of the Lord right in front of him. And there's also going to be times when they will directly encounter the Lord for themselves. And the people attending that small group, the same thing will happen for them. The whole idea is that they also will be like Joseph. Just like Joseph experienced the supernatural aspects of God, we can experience those today too. But listen, those didn't set the direction for Joseph. He was already a faithful follower of God. Those supernatural type experiences only solidified his direction. They only increased his momentum. He was already heading in that direction. Sometimes I think that we meditate, or meditate is probably not the right word in this case, but we daydream about being a superstar for Jesus. It would be kind of exciting to be like Billy Graham or someone. Have thousands and thousands of followers and be a bit of a superstar. But you know what? Not everybody gets to be a superstar. You could say it this way. Not every Christian gets to be a superstar in the limelight. But every Christian is expected to be a faithful follower Are you already a faithful follower of Jesus? Would you like to be a faithful follower of Jesus in 20 years from now? A faithful follower of Jesus is someone who who sets their mind to follow God and then puts one foot in front of the other every day without stopping. Some grandmothers are exceptional examples of this. I'm thinking of the grandmother who is not famous. In fact, outside of her family and neighbors, few people know her name. And yet she has impacted people for eternity that might never be realized in this lifetime. And she perhaps is a prayer warrior in her prayer closet and has impacted many souls for eternity. Faithful followers have their ears open attentively to where the Lord is leading and they are ready to obey. The consistency and dependability of a faithful follower is calming. Do you know that? 
If you get to be in the presence of someone who's a faithful follower, especially if that person has any tendency to lead, there is a calming effect. In fact, even if you're not a leader and you're a faithful follower, there's already a calming effect to the people around you. If you were a faithful follower of Jesus on the way into this pandemic in 2020, you are going to be a faithful follower of Jesus when we come out of this pandemic. And when you think about it in that way, suddenly the news and the hype and all these things, they kind of wash off. Because a faithful follower is not stopping. Ask yourself this question. Where would you like to be as a faithful follower of Jesus in 20 years from now? Just think out 20 years from now. Take your age, add 20 years. Where do you want to be in your life? Where do you want to be spiritually in your walk with Jesus? Would you like to be, for instance, someone who is pretty natural by that time of talking to people, maybe your friends or your neighbors or the person you just met about Jesus? Would you like to be the kind of person who, in 20 years from now, is fairly good at recalling Scripture in the moment? Would you like to be, in 20 years from now, would you like to be the kind of person who prays with your family? If that's where you would like to be in 20 years from now, what does that mean you should be doing in 10 years? What does that mean you should be doing in 5 years? What does that mean you should set your target as to having done at the end of 2021? And what does that mean you should do in the beginning of 2021? If you desire to be a praying grandparent, if you want to be the kind of grandparent that the grandchildren know that you are praying for them, then today when you are only a parent, you ought to already be praying. And if you would like to someday be a praying parent, maybe you should start with praying with your girlfriend or boyfriend. If you would like to one day when you have a job or a career and you would like to be able to pray with people in the office, maybe you should start praying with your friends today. Those kinds of things don't suddenly happen in the future. They start, a faithful follower will take a step this today, tomorrow, this next week, and they keep on taking those steps to get there. If you want to be able to recall Scripture quickly in 20 years from now, what do you think you should start doing even today? Just a small step, but an, an intentional step. Ask the Lord what that next step is, and then be like Joseph and be quick to obey. And you know what you could do? If you really want to encourage somebody, you could even go up to another believer in Jesus and you could tell them, you know what? My intention 
is to be a faithful follower. My intention is that from 20 years from now, and then you fill in the blank, and that because I want to be there, this is what I'm going to start doing today. Why don't you join me in prayer? Jesus, I thank you so much that we have the opportunity to be considered faithful followers of you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for already whispering in our ears what that next step looks like for us. Jesus, I really look forward to meeting Joseph one day. And as interesting as those conversations will be, Lord, I just thank you that as we are faithful followers of you, we get to see you one day. Fill us with anticipation, Lord. That day is a lot closer than we might imagine. Could you right now, Jesus, just fill us with anticipation for that day. Help us to realize how fleeting our life is. Help us to be intentional with how you want that to look. And help us to not begrudge the fact that we get to be faithful followers, but help us to embrace it. Help us to enjoy it and enjoy every step of the adventure, not because we have to, but because we want to, not because we need to or we are obligated to, but because we love to follow you. Fill us with that zeal and enthusiasm and let it be genuine that we are your faithful followers, Lord. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.